0: here we go i shaved for nothing illinois fans uh, welcome to the orange and blue news uh, podcast we're talking with uh, damon dillman from uh, the rivals um, virginia side illinois travels out to charlottesville on saturday uh, third game of the season with a one and one record uh, they're coming off of a disappointing loss to texas san antonio on saturday started the season off uh, with a win over nebraska uh, virginia uh, 43 nothing over William and Mary. So, uh, Damon, tell us what you learned from that game on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, despite that score, and when you look at the stats, how one sided the stats were as well, it's really hard to take a whole lot from that game because William and Mary is a team that was missing a whole lot. They were missing their quarterback, they were missing their top running back, they were missing their left tackle, they were missing uh, their best linebacker on defense, and even With those guys factored in, that's a William & Mary team that was picked to finish 11th out of 12 teams in the CAA this year. So UVA got off to a slow start offensively. They were maybe trying to get a little too cute, a little too tricky, trying to run – it almost seemed like they were running a gadget play every other play or every third play. And then once they kind of settled into a more – maybe, I don't know if typical is the right word, but offensively they seemed to get into a better rhythm late in the first half, and then into the second half they really seemed to – hit a pretty good rhythm in the defense. The defense played well, but again, I think think a lot of that was a William & Mary offense that might have been a little overmatched with the guys they were missing. So I don't know. To be honest with you guys, I'm really interested to see with this step up from William & Mary to Illinois, going to a Power 5 opponent, a Big 10 opponent, I'm interested to see what we learn about UVA this week because I think UVA did some things well, did some things not as well. But I think it, it comes with that that big asterisk, that caveat of uh, William & Mary being and a shorthanded William & Mary team being the opponent.
0: You know, these are two teams with not much of a history. I know they played in a couple of bowl games against each other, but uh, Illinois in general doesn't play a lot of ACC teams. They did play North Carolina home and home. A few years back, but uh, what, what's the buzz like on campus there in Charlottesville for this game? And, uh, they're playing a, a, an opponent from far away. It's not a conference game. Uh, how do you think the ticket sales are going to be this week?
1: Plus the eleven o'clock start, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, what the student section looks like. They had a pretty good student section, Bronco. That was the first thing Bronco brought up in post game after the William and Mary game is how happy he was with the student section because that's not always a consistent factor for home games. The rest of the crowd was not probably what they were hoping, hoping for, but uh, the student section was certainly lively. They were there early. They were in the seats early. So it'll be interesting to see as that goes from a 7:30 kickoff to an 11 AM kickoff, if that continues to be the case. Um, and then we'll see if people are excited about the William and Mary game last week. I think this is very much still a UVA fan base when it comes to the football program. Anyway, that's still in wait and see mode. I think there was excitement two years ago when they won the Coastal, but they lost so many guys from that team two years ago. And then last year, just going five and five with virtually nobody in the stands. I think it's kind of back to uh, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see if this team is headed in the right direction. So I'll be interested to see. I'm not anticipating a giant crowd. I think it'll be a decent crowd. But I don't it's not going to be a packed house, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination. So it'll 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 the environment it depends if UVA gets something going early, I think it'll be a good environment for the most part. but UVA needs to get off to a fast start and keep the crowd engaged for that to be a factor for the whole afternoon or morning.
2: <laughs> it, it, you know here over here we're just um, we're still trying to figure out what what to expect from Milani under under Bilmo. you know yeah,' it, it's kind of excited early whenever he got hired. And that there was, you know, there's a new sheriff in town, of course, but there was some hope that that with so many super seniors coming back that Illinois would have a um, maybe not a quick fix, but maybe get some momentum going early. And, um, you know, they got that win against Nebraska and Nebraska kind of fumbled away a little bit and gave Illinois every chance to win. Illinois nearly came back and, and won a game that, the, that they really wanted to win last weekend against a, you know, a non power five team but a very good team. So we're still trying to figure out what to expect out of Illinois and where they're going this year and and if it's going to be a a momentum builder or if this is going to be a total rebuild. We're still in it early, but here with Mendenhall, is is there starting to be a little bit of impatience with with what he's got going?
1: No, I don't think so. I think uh, you're talking about where b is right now. I remember back to Bronco's first year here. And he basically had to rebuild it from the foundation up. He, he started from scratch, essentially. Um, and their first game, there was so much excitement going into that first game in 2016. And then they go out and lose it home to Richmond. And even just talking to guys now, five years later, who were on that team in 2016, even they were starting to have doubts a little bit. But, but Bron- that, that first year, Broncos' first year, they won two games. They won two games in a row. Uh, late September, early October, and then didn't win and get another game the rest of the season. Got blown out in Blacksburg by Virginia Tech uh, to end the to end their first season, and that actually clinched the Coastal Division for Virginia Tech as well. Your arch rival, a couple of hours down the road in state, and so I think I think there were a lot of questions about Bronco after that first season, and especially after the way that first season ended. But the next few years, they would consistent. They had consistently prior to last year climb the ladder a little bit farther each year they went they won six games in 2017 uh it was their first time going to a bowl game since 2011 so six years uh but then they got run off the field by navy in that one uva took the uh the opening kick for a touchdown and got out to that seven nothing lead and then didn't score again it was 48 7 was the final in that one so obviously that's another example of not ending on the most positive of notes but then Year three, they win seven regular season games and then shut out South Carolina in the Belk Bowl. So, obviously, a lot of momentum coming out of year three. Year four is when they won the Coastal Division, finally beat Virginia Tech for the first time in 15 years, uh, played Clemson in the ACC title game, played Florida in the Orange Bowl. So, I think – That kind of set up a lot of excitement. And then, obviously, with all the uniqueness and all the factors of last year, they only went five and five. The defense really struggled, which has been really uncharacteristic for this program under Bronco Mendenhall. But I think a lot of people give them a pass for the way last year went just because of the circumstances with the odd offseason, the odd the shortened preseason and a lot of the other circumstances because of COVID. So uh, I don't think there's necessarily some impatience. I think now the bar has been set. However, I know internally they think the bar has been set. They expect to be an eight win nine win team contending for a division title every year, contending for a new year, six bowl every year now. And they talk pretty openly about that. So the bar has definitely been raised. And I think now if they don't start to meet those expectations, maybe then uh, people start to get a little impatient, but we also have to keep in mind that this is a football program that hasn't ha- had a whole lot of success mm-hmm. the last 20 years or so, especially the last 15 years or so. And so the bar isn't terribly high. And at the end of the day, this is a basketball town as well these days with Tony Bennett at JPJ. So I don't necessarily think there's, I don't know if there's necessarily enough heat for there to be heat on Bronco right now, and considering the way things had been prior to his arrival, I think people just look at it as a program that's headed in the right direction and where they'd like it to to be going.
2: You know, I you talk it's kind of interesting. You talk about um, setting their bar high and pushing, you know, trying to push forward. Were they were the guys kind of? Is there a chip on the guy's shoulder? It seemed like the you know, I saw them; they were picked. Seventh in, in their division.
1: Yeah, Did that kind of rub them the wrong way, or what? Yeah, I think so. I think there's absolutely. I think especially when you talk about the uh, the super seniors, the guys who are back. They've got eight of them this year, including a couple of guys who've been in this program for six years now, who've been here their first year. They redshirted when Bronco took over the program, and I think the fact that they ended five and five last year, the term Bronco coined was unbroken growth for those years where they went from two wins to six to eight to nine, and then to take that step back and only win five games last year, I think those guys, they took that personally. And then when they saw where they were picked, kind of those external expectations, I think they took that personally as well. So yeah, I absolutely think there's that that, uh, so-called chip on their shoulder. I think these guys do have something to prove. And that's why they talk openly about why. That's why a lot of them are back for that fifth or sixth year when they could have moved on. But uh, they have something they want to get done this year.
0: I'm really kind of struck by the similarities between the two programs. Listening to you and reading about the, the Virginia, like I have this week, just getting ready for the game. I mean, uh, you have two teams who don't have a long history of of winning. You have two teams um, that everyone kind of sees a little bit as a sleeping giant because of the strong recruiting base for Virginia. It's, yeah, it's, it's the Eastern Seaboard and Virginia Beach, and for Illinois, of course, it's uh, Chicago area. Um, so. How how has Mendenhall been doing with you know with the local football talent there because there's a, a ton of talent coming out of that area.
1: That is a that is one sticking point. That's something that they've definitely obviously they, they came from BYU, and BYU is such a, re, a unique situation from a recruiting perspective, and so they had virtually no connections to to any of the high schools here in Virginia or anywhere else in the mid Atlantic area. So that's something that they've kind of had to build throughout their time here. They only retained one, one assistant, uh, from Mike London staff from the previous staff, Marcus Haggins, who was a quarterback here about 15 years ago. He was Mike London's receivers coach and he's been Broncos receivers coach ever since, but he's the one guy that they retained. He's from the tidewater area, so I think they kind of leaned on him pretty heavily early to help get some inroads, especially in that area. Cause that's such a hotbed for recruiting, but this is such a competitive state now for recruiting like Penn state. If you go through and you look, Penn state gets a lot of the best kids from Virginia every year. Alabama's in this state every year, other, other out of state programs. They, they raid Virginia, and Virginia tech have kind of fallen back. They both have that same problem where, They've fallen by the wayside a little bit when it comes to these in-state kids. A lot of these other big-time programs have come in here and kind of ransacked Virginia for the best talent. So that's obviously something – UVA had these last couple of recruiting classes. You can see there's – there have been years when there are only maybe like two or three in-state kids in Broncos recruiting classes. Um, they still recruit a lot of kids from all over the country. They've gotten into Georgia more. They've tried getting into Florida more at times. Um, but yeah, that is, obvious. that's something that I think they still want to build stronger bridges with these in-state programs because it is such a talent rich state. There's guys all over the state who, uh, who just, you see them going to Penn state or you see them going to Alabama or you see them going to these other schools and it's frustrating for fans. It's frustrating for Virginia and Virginia tech fans. It's one of the few <laughs> things they agree on, I think, but, um, but yeah, I think, I, I think both, both Bronco and Justin Fuente, have really tried to build those bridges and build those inroads and it's it's going to be a long process and I think it's one that's still kind of continuing here
0: everything you just said Illinois fans can directly relate to because it's just it's the same story here yeah in Illinois, you know uh, I think Brad Bielema has made more of an effort to get the in-state kids but before that Lovey Smith just couldn't get it going in state and I don't think he really tried very hard to get it going in the state of Illinois, really. Had, had, but let's, can we, let's get into the nuts and bolts of these two teams and what the fans sure. can expect on the field. You know, I, I know the statistics don't tell the full story, but just digging into last year with Virginia, one thing that really jumped out at to me was get, uh, giving up the long ball over the top. Now, Yeah. You know, a lot of long plays from scrimmage and specifically a lot of long pass plays from scrimmage. And, you know, what was the issue there? Was it more a run after the catch, or was it going over the top of the defense you know, because there was a, a ton, like 54 plays of at least 20 yards and like 20 some of 30 plus yards.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you go and you look, they gave up 304 yards per game passing last year, which it was bottom five in the country. It's, and for a coach, Bronco Mendenhall at his heart as a defensive coach. So that obviously did not sit well with them. And, and, and it was just, they got beaten a variety of ways. And, and so I think that's something that I think, They absolutely targeted this offseason going into this year was they that needed to be fixed. And they went at it in a couple of different ways. They reallocated the coaching staff a little bit. They they now have a dedicated. It used to be that Nick Howell, the defensive coordinator, was also the defensive backs coach. Now he sort of oversees all of the defensive backs, but they have a dedicated safeties coach who used to be the inside linebackers coach. And they have a dedicated cornerbacks coach who used to be uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And he's also the special teams coordinator. So, so they reallocated, they reworked the coaching staff a little bit to put more of an emphasis on the defensive backs. They went out and landed a couple of grad transfer cornerbacks. They got a guy, Anthony Johnson, who's starting for him now, who was at Louisville prior to here. Another guy, Josh Hayes, who was at North Dakota state. He hasn't played this year. And it doesn't sound like he's going to play on Saturday either. He got hurt in camp, a leg injury, And uh, so that one has not worked out as much. But uh, and then the other thing they've done is they seem to they've always played a lot of five defensive backs. I think a lot of that has always been just a product of where the college game is now. But it seems like they've dedicated themselves more Uh, these first couple of years. Bronco was here. They were a base three, four defense. The it it looks like they're going to be a base three, three, five this year. They're going to be a base five nickelback. Uh, defense, because when you talk about those super seniors, three of them are in the secondary. Uh, All three of them are playing safety now, actually. One of them used to be a corner, but they've moved him to safety this year as well. So, uh, yeah, they've gone at it in a variety of ways, and that is absolutely something that they targeted. And they they didn't tackle well last year. They wanted to be more physical going into this season. Um, So fixing that defense, like I said, Bronco's heart and soul is a defensive guy. And so that I think he took that personally. I think his coaching staff took that personally as well because prior to, midway through, two-thirds of the way through the 2019 season, the two years prior, 27 and 2018, they were giving up like less than 200 yards passing a game. Same for those first two-thirds of the 2019 season. And then they played Clemson in the ACC title game. They played Florida in the Orange Bowl. Both of those teams threw it around on them. They were banged up in the secondary late in that season. And then that just kind of, for whatever reason, carried over in the last year. And it was a huge problem for him, not all of last year. And again, that goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's tough to tell how effective these changes were because William and Mary had a true freshman backup quarterback making his first start in his first game. And they did everything they could keeping extra guys in to keep him protected. So they weren't exactly throwing the ball around all that much. So, and I mean, I don't know how much Illinois is going to throw the ball around this much either, but then next week UVA goes to Chapel Hill. And obviously we'll get a really good idea of how this secondary looks in that game. So, but I don't know, that's one of those things I absolutely want to check out on Saturday and see how Illinois maybe tests that secondary, if they're even interested in tech, tech testing next secondary.
2: The, the Illinois coaches, but they, they kind of made it sound like, um, Virginia's got some athleticism on defense. They've got some long, longer, rangey guys and athleticism. Is that true or was that overblown?
1: No, I think so. I think I think the guy they probably have in mind specifically is an outside linebacker and edge rusher, uh, Noah Taylor. He's in his fourth year in this program. Uh, and he's he's bigger this year. He's he's up to about, I think he's up to like 230, 235 now, but he's definitely he's an athletic guy. They have some athletic guys in the secondary. Anthony Johnson, the guy I talked about earlier, the uh the grad transfer from Louisville, he's an athletic guy, so there are definitely athletes on this defense. That's what this coaching staff looks for: is to get these athletes into the program and then figure out where they fit best. Elliot Brown's another one; he's another bigger guy. He's like six five as well. So is Noah Taylor, who I had talked about. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior. Uh, linebacker who hasn't played as much. This is probably the most extensive playing time he's going to get. He's one of those guys who's back for fifth year when he could have moved on. He's one of those super seniors, but he's back in the program too. So yeah, there are definitely athletes uh, who can make plays. Noah Taylor can cover. Elliot Brown is he, he's work. He's getting better as a coverage guy. um But yeah, there are definitely guys that they like to utilize in a variety of ways.
2: And they got a I got a Buckus watch list guy.
1: Oh, Nick Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a smaller guy. He's only maybe like 5'11", but he's a tackling machine. He uh, he had 12 last week. He finished second in the ACC in tackles last year. He was the only guy on, on the entire team, actually. He was the only preseason all ACC selection on the entire team. But yeah, he's another guy who he, he just has a nose for the football. He's all over the place. And uh, he's, he's their leading tackler. He's definitely, he's in his third year in the program. Now second year as a full-time starter, he's definitely one of those guys they are leaning on more as a more vocal leader on the defense as well. But his calling card is just making tackles all over the field.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, on Monday on their, their weekly press conference, Brett Bielema and the defensive coordinator, Tony Walters, talked a lot about the uniqueness of the Virginia offense and we're all really uh, um, anxious to see what a, what an offense looks like with four quarterbacks on the field at the same
1: time.
0: Has <laughs> that been a little bit overblown or, you know, what, what's the deal with this offense?
1: Well, it's, I mean, it sounds crazy four quarterbacks on the field at any given time, but the reality is only one of them is actually playing quarterback, if that makes sense. Uh, and only two of them threw passes. Uh, Brennan Armstrong's the starter and Ira Armstead, a redshirt freshman, is his backup. They were the only two to throw passes, and Arm Armstead only threw one pass, and that was late in the fourth quarter when Armstrong, the starter, was out of the game. So they have they have a guy Keeton Thompson, who's a fifth year senior. He was a grad transfer, got here last year uh, for Mississippi State. He was a big time recruit at Mississippi State. Obviously, he went through a lot. He was recruited by Mullen, and then went through a couple of different coaching changes there. And he got here last summer and last summer was also Armstrong's first year as the starting quarterback. And they wanted somebody to compete with him. And so they brought in Keaton Thompson and then Thompson gets hurt in camp. Hurts his shoulder. Can't his throwing shoulder can't throw anymore. So they decide they're going to kind of deploy him as this. They call the position. Well, they have a couple of names for it: football player, football guy, Mr. Football but he's all over the field. He gets he led the team in catches last week, had a bunch of carries. He only attempted three passes last year. I don't know how many passes he's going to attempt this year, but he's listed on the roster as a quarterback. So that's another quarterback. And then Armstead, the backup, was on the field a lot. He and Armstrong were on the field at the same time. Uh, one to be lined up wide while the other one took the snap, and then they'd switch the next play where it was Armstead out wide while Armstrong took the snap. But again, Armstead didn't throw a lot. It's it's a lot of wildcat stuff when he's in the game. And then the fourth one is a true freshman named Jake Rodriguez, who's a big kid, runs really hard, ran really hard last week. And he is essentially the backup football guy, the backup football player. He runs a lot of the same stuff that Keaton Thompson does. I don't know how much we're going to see him throwing the ball either, but he was more involved in the offense last week than I think any of us really anticipated so yeah they have four quarterbacks they're all listed as quarterbacks on the roster so nominally at least when they're on the field it's four quarterbacks but the reality is only one of them's the quarterback Armstrong's going to be the guy throwing the ball when he's on the field but it still creates all kind of confusion for a defense I could absolutely see Bronco talked on Monday that he likes it a lot just because again He's a defensive guy and he looks at it from the perspective of, of a defensive guy and how much it would drive him nuts to have the game plan for an offense that's lining up guys like that all over the field and who knows what they're going to throw at you. So I think that's why Broncos on board with it. But going back to last Saturday, like I talked about at the beginning, there was a lot of stuff that just seemed out of sync and not really in rhythm. And it seemed like they were doing a lot of stuff with all of those guys on the same field at the same time. And maybe were they were, it was a little too cute, a little too complicated for their own good. And so they simplified things a little bit and found their rhythm in the second half, especially. So we'll see how much of that we actually see on Saturday. I don't know if they'll continue to scale it back a bit or if they'll give it another try to see if it clicks a little more, but it certainly makes for some interesting conversation on the message board (laughs) because, uh, I mean, it's, it it is absolutely unique and I'm not surprised that the Illinois coaches aren't looking forward to preparing for it because as Bronco said, that's kind of the fun of it was making it that much more difficult for opponents to prepare for. Usually you see just the
0: opposite in a first game against an inferior opponent. It, they, they try to hide a lot of the playbook. It sounds like it yeah. took out the whole playbook right off the bat. In the first which, is, quarter, so. which
1: is what we think they did defensively. We think they were a little bit more vanilla on the defensive side, but yeah, they were throwing everything at William and Mary and it, and, and it wasn't necessarily working all that well either. So it was, uh, it was an interesting evening. Certainly they only had what, like 59 yards in the first quarter. And I think people were a little, uh, three points and 59 yards. And I think people were a little concerned, but then they got it rolling a little bit.
0: What's kind of the origins of this offense is, you know, who's the offensive coordinator and what, what's their background. And what's kind of a reference point for Illinois fans when they're trying to figure out what to expect. Is this something completely new or is this a, an offense that, uh, that
1: came from another place? I think, well, Robert and is the offensive coordinator. He's been Broncos offensive coordinator. He came with him from BYU. Uh, he was Bronco's offensive coordinator twice at BYU Bronco fired him at one point and then rehired him a few years later, but he's been around for a long time. Uh, I, I think, I think this is something that they've kind of built on every year that they've been here because uh, first of all, they need dual threat quarterback eyes who they can use in such a way. And so they've been kind of recruiting those guys and putting that quarterback room together in this way in the time they've been here, because uh, their first quarterback, their first two years here, was a grad transfer from East Carolina, Kurt Benkert, who's with the uh, was with the Packers in the preseason. He uh, he was more of a traditional drop back guy. Came from East Carolina. So then they had Bryce Perkins, who's with the Rams now. Uh, he was a transfer from uh, Arizona State and then a junior college, but he was a true dual threat guy. He broke a bunch of records in his two years here, just because this offense is so more open. Uh, than what UVA teams have traditionally run. So this is something absolutely that this is Robert and I's calling card. He he really enjoys getting creative, trying to confuse defenses and throw a bunch of stuff at people like this. And now it's just, I think, a matter of they've been able to get the personnel where they can get more creative like this. They had the keton obviously kind of worked out for them. I don't necessarily think this was the plan when they brought him here. They have another guy, Jelani Woods, a grad transfer, at tight end, who's six seven. He was a quarterback at Oklahoma State originally before he moved to tight end at Oklahoma State. So they've talked a little bit about maybe finding ways to get him involved in this kind of silliness as well, for lack of a better word. So I don't know. It's, it's certainly – you can tell they have fun coming up with this stuff. Now it's just that they need to actually show it works, I guess. So –
2: you got that on offense, then you've
1: got Broncos,
2: just a pure defensive guy, and he's got these cutesy things like "earn not given," "hard things tougher." Is he is he that kind of a you know hard headed football coach?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. They that's a lot of the stuff that they brought in here when they first took over. They came in and earn not given, will before skill, hard things together. Those were kind of the mantras that they kind of put their flag in the ground based on. And those are the those are the kind of the culture they wanted to build, where is based around those those mantras. And it, it it like from the outside looking in, that first year, that first winter, they stripped all the jersey numbers, all the V Sabers off guys, made them earn them all back. Now these things are tradition; they do that every year. Guys practice without jersey numbers every year, and they have to earn them all back. But that first year, it was just this is crazy. This is not going to work. But to their credit guys all bought in they got the most important players to buy in the older guys the veterans the guys who are all acc players ultimately all americans micah kaiser a linebacker quinn blanding a safety guys like that they got them to buy in and it's it has worked for them it From the outside looking in, you wonder sometimes how it works, but they guys swear by them. You you talk to guys who are on that first team and they they swear by the changes that this coaching staff brought in. And I think also they see that it's worked. They see that they've improved every year prior to last year. They see that they've gone to a couple of bowl games and won a coastal division. So I think, I think they're at a point now where from an outsider's perspective, I can see how it looks a little interesting, but from an, from from the inside it, it, by any, every indication it works. And so I don't. I think it's going to continue to uh, be Bronco's story here because he, he seems to have found a formula that's working for him.
0: Well, Damon, I know you have to run. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and educating us on the Cavaliers what we can expect. You know, when Illinois first scheduled this game, I kind of, kind of had my doubts with the home and home with a team that we're, we're really not very familiar with at all. But it sounds like an interesting matchup on Saturday, and uh, we'll see you at the stadium uh, Saturday early morning. So thanks a lot, David, <laughs> uh, John Cipini. I'm Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News. Uh, log on to Orange and Blue News. You can get a 30-day uh, trial subscription right now. So thanks a lot, Illinois fans, and we'll see you Saturday.